Luke 24, 1 through 12. Hear ye the word of the Lord. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. God's word for God's people, and God's people said amen. Amen. Uh, For the time that we're going to share together, I want to talk about, for a little bit, resurrection in times of crisis. Right. We all experience a crisis in our lifetime. Some will be minor in scope. Some will be major. The people of Brussels just experienced a crisis. 31 people dead, 340 people injured. Iraq just experienced a crisis. They bombed a soccer game, killing 29 and wounding 60. There are crises stateside. People in Flint, Michigan, unable to drink or even use water that comes out of their faucets in their own homes. There are crises day to day, wondering how are you going to pay all of the bills because you have more month than money. Crisis. A crisis is defined as a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. It's a time where difficult or important decisions must be made. It's also a turning point of a disease when an important change takes place, indicating either recovery or death. That is what a crisis is. And that is what the people were experiencing in the text, a crisis. Here they had for the last three years been walking with this man who could heal the sick, raise the dead, open up blinded eyes, cure the the wounds of the afflicted. And he's killed like a common criminal. We, We hold reverence for the cross right now, but back then... That was just what they used to execute criminals. That was their version of a gas chamber or an electric chair or a lethal injection. That's what they did. And so they experienced a crisis. How do you react 
when you experience a crisis. The first thing you do when you experience a crisis is you have to keep moving. Uh, looked in the text and we go right from Jesus' death and burial to the resurrection story. They take him down off of the cross. Joseph of Arimathea had a tomb that was available, so they put them in the, they put the body of Jesus in this tomb and here the people go to deliver the, to, to do the spices on a Sunday morning. They go to anoint Jesus' body. So there is an anointing of the tomb, but when they arrive to the tomb, they don't find everything they need to, that they thought was going to find. They find an open tomb and they find that the stone has been rolled away. It's empty. Jesus ain't there. You never know when you are going to experience the miraculous. So be prepared at all times. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. The miraculous comes when you least expect it. The women were going to go do some regular chores. This was common. Yes, they had lived a marvelous life walking around with Jesus, but this crisis has taken them back to the normal stuff. And this is a normal chore. They got a visit during this, doing normal things. Be faithful over a few things and God will make you ruler over many. David was minding his own business, tending to the shepherd, tending to the sheep in the field when he was about to get anointed king. Sometimes when you're on the job just taking care of business like you normally do, somebody will see you and it'll be time for your promotion. But you have to be faithful over a few things. That's how they judge whether or not you go on. So the women came to the tomb on this early Easter Sunday morning about the rocks being moved away and and, uh, they did not expect any kind of new discovery. They had seen death before. They had been to the tombs before. See, this was part of a process. The tombs were not a, a, a habitable zone. You see what I'm saying? They, that's not something everybody wanted to be around, but they would go anyway. They came with the spices in the morning because the spices, when someone dies, during those times, they didn't really have coffins to bury them in. They would put them in a tomb and what they would do is put them at the front of the tomb and put spices on the body and the spices did two things. They covered up the smell and they helped the body decompose a lot faster. And so after they did that for about a year, they would then take the remains, put that in a box and put it in the back of the tomb so that they could do it again for the next person that passed. So they were going about their normal business. A year later, they'd come back and they'd put them in a stone box and they called that an ossuary. And that box went in the back and the same tomb would be used over and over and over again. So this was a common occurrence. But they ran into angels by the tomb. And the angels told them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen indeed. They had radiance. They looked the part. I talked last week about perception and how we often, as a people, make our decisions about people in the first 12 seconds that we meet them. So these angels looked the part. They had radiance. And not only did they have radiance, they had reassurance. 
they comfort the frightened women and they ask them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? We have to keep moving in crisis because we have to understand that when we come to these crisis type situations, we might make the wrong decisions. We might be looking for things in all the wrong places. We might be talking to the wrong people. Talking to people that not, can't necessarily help us. And then they have their radiance and they have their reassurance and they give them a reminder. They are reminded of Jesus' words. He told them over and over again that he was going to be crucified and raised again from the dead. They were reminded in 24-7 about it, but he told them in chapter 9 twice. And then he told them again in chapter 18 in the gospel according to Luke, I'm going to die, but I'll be back. This is temporary. And so when you are in a crisis, you have to keep moving. You have to make the right decisions. And then you have to remember your foundation. The women were reminded of this in their foundation. And I am particularly concerned about foundation. Uh, Your ministry is where your misery is. And I would have to say that my misery, well, one of those is people growing up in the church and then falling away. And not falling away because they don't like the music or it's stuffy or, uh, you know, there are certain things that they just don't appreciate in a common church service. I can deal with that because there are different churches out there that offer different kind of music. If we don't sing the songs you like at one church, you can find another one. That's not what I worry about. I worry about the people that fall away from church because of doctrine. Fall away from church because there's something that somebody in this pulpit never covered. And when they hear it outside, it rattles their faith. So we talked a little bit about Christmas. We talked a little bit about Palm Sunday. Now I'm going to have to address the elephant in the room, Easter. There are people I run into that think they are just dropping this heavy knowledge, rattling people's faith because they talk about Easter and where they believe it came from. Easter being uh, the name of Ishtar, a pagan god, and bunnies and eggs being symbols of fertility. They right. It's actually in the Bible. If you go to read Genesis, there's a man in Genesis called Nimrod, the great grandson of Noah. He rebelled against God. The Bible even says that he's a mighty one. And Jewish tradition declares that Nimrod was a tyrant that made all of the people rebel against God. Nimrod built great cities. Babel, Ashur, Nineveh, and Calvary. All of this is in Genesis, which is why I'm big on reading the Bible, because I come across a bunch of people who don't read the Bible and call themselves believers and people who do read the Bible but don't call themselves believers. So we got to address it, address the elephant in the room. Nimrod eventually died, but his wife propped him up as a god. And he was prominent in his Babylonian religion that worshipped the sun. And his wife saw that he continued to remain and his legend continued to remain uh, 
by making him the sun god and later when she had birth gave birth rather to an illegitimate son he was named Tammuz and she claimed that this was Nimrod reborn Nimrod crucified died and resurrected but the people didn't worship Tammuz like they did Nimrod they actually worshiped the wife Ishtar as the mother and they worshiped her much more than the sun and she be- uh, much more than the sun and she became considered the, the goddess of moon and fertility and that's when you have all these colored eggs that are coming from and the rabbits that are coming from and that's something that has to be taught why i say this now because i don't want anybody to go up and go to college and hear this from somebody else and then not believe in jesus no more because all of these kind of things are coupled with well if your pastor didn't tell you about this what else is he lying about? And it's not that, he's, that any of the pastors are lying. They just have certain things that they have to focus on. And you can't cover everything all the time, every time you get up to preach. My main job is because I don't know where everybody's at in their walk with faith, is from this level to teach you about Jesus. And then once you get Jesus, we can work on covering some of the other stuff. But I figure since it's Easter, we might as well talk about that. Furthermore, these people that think they are dropping this great knowledge, this faith-rocking knowledge, talk about why is it that the date of Easter changes if it's supposed to represent Jesus' death. And I even heard one person that thought they were really smart say, well, my grandma died and that date never changed. It didn't move from year to year. Well, I'm glad you asked that. I'm so glad you asked that. Sorry to hear about your grandmama first and foremost. My condolences, but we're talking about a different culture. Uh, the, the, the ancient Hebrews, and really they still do it somewhat today, they don't use the same calendar as we do. They use a lunar calendar, which follows the rotation of the moon. And the rotation of the moon goes around the earth every 29 and a half days. But you notice some days, some of our months have 28, some of them have 30, some of them have 31. That's just to make up the difference. And so on this Hebrew calendar, it will go, some months it will be 12 months, and some months it'll be 13 months. So if I'm counting by 12 all the time, and sometimes somebody else is counting by 12, and other times by 13, it ain't going to be the same date. So it's not some sort of scam to hide people from, it's just different dates. There are some people that use a nine or ten month calendar. There are some people that use a completely different calendar. So it's not anything hidden about it. The date of Easter moves because we're counting on two different calendars. It's not some sort of pastoral conspiracy to, to blind you people and get you to give, you, give me more money. Lord knows the pastor does not get all the money from the church. We are part of a denomination. I have a boss. And my boss has a boss, so I'm not here to fleece the people. I'm just here to teach. So the date changes based on that. So yes, we know that the date changes. And yes, we know these things have quote-unquote pagan origins. But as I've said many times before, when two people do the same dance, sometimes... One of them can dance better than the other. They might be dancing right next to each other. But somebody can dance better than the other. So I really don't care 
that somebody else did something first. I care that Jesus did it best. There's plenty of other people claiming that their Savior was born of a virgin, died, and rose again on the, next, on the third day. That's okay. You may have even done it first, but you didn't do it best. Jesus did it best, and that's what I care about. These are tools. You cannot accidentally worship anything. You cannot unknowingly worship anything. The word worship literally means how much something is worth to you. I can't say something is worth much to me if I don't even know it exists. So there is no accidental worship of a moon god or a sun god or a god of fertility or a goddess of fertility. I'm worshiping Jesus. Jesus is in my heart and Jesus is who I'm thinking about when I'm praising. Just because you gather in a building and worship somebody else doesn't mean that that's who I'm worshiping. So it's nice to talk about bunnies. It's nice to talk about Ishtar, but we really need to talk about the resurrection because that's what it's about. They're tools for worship. And then we have the account concerning the tomb. The women involved are Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and others. Ah, got another elephant in the room I'm going to need to address. You got Mary, the mother of James, and... Uh, that's coming there first and in, in the, that's in the gospel according to Luke and in the gospel according to Matthew and the gospel according to Mark it mentions that Mary is the mother of James and Joseph but here it just says it's James which is okay while I'm here let's talk about the people that feel that the Bible contradicts itself first of all the Bible is not a book Yes, it's all in between a front and a back end, but Biblia means books or library. These were all written by different people at different times with different things going on. And so they're all giving their story. My story is not the same as your story. Your story is not the same as their story. Matter of fact, and some of my law enforcement professionals can attest to this, If a bunch of people come in at the same time and give the exact same story, they're going to discredit it because they think that you colluded. They're going to think y'all came together to come up with a story. So a couple of details are going to have to be off. The Bible is not contradicting itself. These are people telling their story from different frames of view. I had the unfortunate incident of being involved in two bank robberies. I was running errands for my mother one day and had to go to the bank to make a deposit and some withdrawals and whatnot. And so I went to the bank and the first one I went to, the ATM machine wasn't working. So I went back to the first one because my mother banked at one bank and I banked at another around the corner. And as I pulled up to the bank for the second time and walked up to the door, I'm walking up to the door and watching gentlemen run around the lobby area shooting at the security guard. 
So I immediately turned around and ran back to my car and tried to mash the gas out the parking lot one way. And there was a traffic jam there and I couldn't get out, so I threw the car in reverse and mashed the gas the other way. And when I mashed the gas the other way, the robbers were coming out and heading to their getaway car. So I threw that bad boy at park, hopped out the car and ran the opposite way. When it came time to talk to the police officers, I said that they had on black sweats. The people on the inside of the bank said that they had on blue sweats. Now, if I said black sweats and they said blue sweats, does that mean that that robbery didn't happen? I dare you to say it didn't happen. I remember specifically how it went down. People have different details, so it's not that they're doing it and they are giving their experience. And it is the same thing. Each one of these people, Mark, Luke, John, they all experienced Jesus in a different way. And so they wrote about it as best as they could. That doesn't make it false. They just experienced it from where they were at. So it's not contradiction, it's experience. John said that you can't write everything that Jesus did. There would be not enough books to hold it. But everybody has their own story. So there's a gospel according to Rick. There's a gospel according to Johnny. There's a gospel according to Latiah. We all have to experience Jesus on our own. And so you have Mary, the mother of James. Joanna, who isn't mentioned that much in the Bible, but she was a supporter of Jesus' ministry. She was actually married to the man that managed Herod's household. And she supported the ministry financially. Another woman. And Mary Magdalene. Another elephant in the room need to address. I got the microphone, so I'm going to talk about it. Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. Nowhere in the Bible does it say she was a prostitute. But that's something that people have tried to to, to push on and on and on. Nowhere, if you can find it, I'll give you my check. It ain't in there. Mary Magdalene is not a prostitute. Even when it talks about the woman that washed his feet, it doesn't mention her sin. But we've taken an opportunity to try to put women in a second class because of this. I, I know it's Easter and I'm supposed to be early uh, he, he, early on Friday morning he died, he died, he died and early he got up with all power in his hand, I know I'm supposed to do that but I might get to that I might not, I just feel like it's Easter and I gotta address some things the Bible doesn't say that but people have added that and because they have added it we start believing it and sometimes it's come from people sitting in the pulpit, which is why we all have to have a relationship with Jesus on our own, which is why we have to read the Bible on our own. Anything I say, you should be able to go back and check it. I'm not doing my job if you don't. 
right. Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. And now, the, the text goes on to say uh, that they went and told the disciples. <clears throat> when they came back from the tomb, I'm in verse 9. They told all these things to the 11 and the others, and then it gives their names. Hmm. So, uh, let me see. Mary Magdalene, who's not a prostitute, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, a.k.a. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. What do all three of them have in common? They are women. What is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus was born of a virgin, right? Crucified, died, and buried, right? Rose again from the dead on the third day, right? Who's at all of those events first? There's a woman there to know that he's born of a virgin. There's a woman there when he's crucified. Matter of fact, everybody else ran away. And then there's a woman there at the tomb and they're, they're instructed by the angels to go tell the apostles and the others, right? So why is it if a woman was there when he was born, a woman was there when he was died, and a woman was there when he rose again from the third? That's the gospel message. Why would people have a problem with women preaching it? Hello? 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 I'm just, I'm just feeling it today. I feel like there's a couple things I need to address, so I'm going to address them since I got the microphone. The very first Easter sermon was preached by a woman. I'm, in, I'm not making it up. I'm in the book. Right there. They were told to go tell the disciples. That sounds like an Easter sermon to me if there ever was one. They gave the message, but it was ignored because it sounds like nonsense. And it would sound like nonsense. Got into an argument with one of uh, <laughs> my lovely seminary professors that talked about that science tells us that the corpse once it goes into the ground, it stays into the ground. And I kept asking along with a couple of other classmates, well, can we find this corpse? Since science tells us that the corpse goes into the ground and it stays in the ground, but we can't find it. And he kept saying, but common sense tells us that, well, this is not common. You go to any other tomb, you know what you're going to find, but when you go to Jesus' tomb, He's not there. And I like that it was multiple people there because according to Jewish tradition, when you read Deuteronomy, they need more than one witness. They need at least two in order to make it believable. That's admissible when you have evidence. So you have at least two angels there to tell them why do you seek the living among the dead. And then you have at least two women to go tell the apostles that he is not dead. He is risen indeed. He did everything that he said he was going to do. It makes it admissible. But I kind of like 
that they didn't believe. Because again, I keep saying it all the time, don't just believe what I say, go look it up. Go read for yourself. And that is what Peter did. The testimony of others and an empty tomb didn't cause the apostles to believe, but rather the post-resurrection experiences with Christ. We can tell you about Jesus all day long. We can show you evidence of his works, but you're going to have to walk it out yourself. You can't get to heaven based on what your mama and your daddy did. You can't get to heaven based upon what big mama did. You can't get to heaven based upon what everybody else is doing. You have to reach out and seek Jesus for yourself. I like that the Bible also doesn't separate death from the resurrection. Both are essential to salvation. All right. If he didn't die, he wouldn't have raised again. All right. It had just been a regular old life. But he died. He took each one of our places on the cross. He had us in mind when he did it. He did it just for us. And you have to marvel as did Peter and I like that he marveled I, I, I like that he went away wondering to himself what had happened because I have to marvel when I look back over my own life and I understand that I would be nowhere without Jesus I could have been dead sleeping in my grave and I don't just say that because that's what I heard the old folks say when I was in church as a young person, I say it because I can remember several times where I've had a brush with death. Mm, all right. But God kept me. Mm. And I'm beginning to understand why. If I look back over my life and I understand where would I be without Jesus? Where would I be without his protecting care, his loving kindness, his goodness, and his mercy? Many men thought and wanted to become God. But only God came down and became a man. And saved our lives through his sacrifice. It's funny, I think about it, he said that uh, in, in Mark he heals a blind man and the blind man is sitting under the tree and he says, when he asks him what did he see, he says, I see trees. And then I go on to Luke 19 and he tells a kiss to come down out of a tree. But lo and behold, Jesus ended up saving the world by dying on a tree. It was love that kept him on the cross. It wasn't the nails. It wasn't the nails because he made the man. He made the blacksmith that made the nails that nailed him to the cross. He made the man and made the hammer that nailed him to the cross. It wasn't the tree because he made the man that planted the tree. He made the man that cut down that tree. He made the man that formed that tree and tied him to the tree. It was love. No greater love than one who would lay down his life for a friend. Jesus thought that much of us to lay down his own life. And keep us from death, hell, and the grave. He loved us. And not only did he love us that much to go to the cross, he could have came down anytime. 
But had he come down from that cross, my soul and your soul and all of our souls would have been lost. But he stayed up on that cross. He could have called 10,000 angels down and wiped everybody out and gotten away. But he stayed on the cross for us. But lo and behold, that's not where the story ends. On that third day, Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands and rose again. And that's not where the story ends because he came and showed everybody the wounds in his hands. We doubt about Thomas and we call Thomas a doubting Thomas, but Thomas was not really a doubter. Thomas just said, I got to see for myself. And you know, the funny thing about Thomas even though we call people a doubting Thomas as an insult, when you study the church history, Thomas was the only person that went out all over the world founding churches. Everybody else founded churches that stayed around Jerusalem in the areas that you read about, but Thomas went all the way to India. Thomas went all over the place. That's why we have what's called the Mar Toma Orthodox Church. Because once he saw for himself, once he experienced Jesus for himself, Once he put his own hands in the wounds and saw it, he went out to tell the world about it. So it's okay sometimes to be a doubting Thomas, but once you come into knowledge of yourself, once you come into the knowledge for yourself, he went out and spread the gospel all over the world. And that's still not where the story ends. He got up, he showed his wounds, he walked with the apostles, and then he ascended, but he's coming back. And I want to be ready when he comes back. I want my name to be in the Lamb's Book of Life. I don't want him to say, depart from me, I know you not. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want him to come for me. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.